Christ. And this week, we're going to take a next step, and we're going to look at how the, our relationship and our, to, to Jesus and God, our Father, Abba, as it says, an endearing term, how our relationship to him is affected dramatically by our behaviors. Our behaviors affect the relationship that we have. And we're going to explore the family dynamic of being a follower of Christ. And we're going to understand what happens, because believe it or not, we don't always do the right thing. Did you know that? Yeah. I'm talking about you, not me. No, you guys, you don't do the right thing all the time. So that's where we're going to go today. When you think about families, what's interesting is the first thing you think, probably one of the introductory things is names, right? And I was thinking about this a little bit. You know, if you asked me about my family, I could tell you my, my wife is Susie. Uh, you know, my, my oldest brother is Doug. My, my youngest child is Gideon. And that's kind of an introduction or, or kind of the starting point. But, but names actually have a little more meaning than that. Like for many of us, uh, you either named or were named with the hope of that becoming true of that person, right? Certainly in the Bible, Old Testament, uh, I, I, this is not a great one, but Jabez, there's this guy that appears in the Old Testament. He was given a name because the, the, the childbirth was so painful. That's what that name means. Terribly painful childbirth. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't really get it, but that's what, that's what they named him. And so, but, but we, we do this as well. We name people. But when, when Susie and I, we, we uh, well, we didn't get pregnant, but she did. And... Um, <laughs> We were going to tr- we were come- trying to come up with names for our first child, and uh, we were both teachers, which made this tricky, because the way this went was like this: I'd suggest the name, and she'd be like, "Oh no, no, no! I had that kid three years ago." <laughs> and, I- and then she'd say, well, "What about this? Oh no, he's in my class this year." And this is, by the way, this is Levi right here. He's drumming with us tonight. I, I just want to say this to you: no offense in what I'm about to say, because this is not true of you. Okay. I mentioned the name Levi, and she said, no, I have that student, and if you rearrange the letters, it spells evil. <laughs> but not, not this Levi, not uh, just other Levi's. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's difficult. And, you know, you've all met some child, and you're like, or an adult, and you're like, oh, that's, his name is so right, isn't it? But interestingly, names actually can become more than that. Names can actually become used in, in, to, as descriptors or, or kind of like verbs, right? Um, there was a, there was a uh, you remember, if you're a little older, you remember this show, Cheers. Cliff Clavin was one of the characters. And uh, there was one episode where he did something so stupid, they coined the phrase, pulling a Clavin. Or you, but you know this already, because if I were to say to you, I looked up some popular phrases. If I said, oh, she, she, uh, she Winona'd that department store. You don't know what that means, right? Well, look it up. Or what if I said, oh, he Will Smith that dude. <laughs> yeah, you get it. Hey, you're Benedict Arnold. No, no one wants that. Or he Kanye'd that speech. Right, names become something, but those are just like individual names. And so maybe even more telling our family names. Let me just suck the air out of the room by throwing a name out there that you're going to have an immediate reaction to the family. Trump. Half of your, someone booed. You can't boo in church. Who booed? Anyway, but they were real. You'd know the Trump name is real estate moguls, right? 
If I told you that the, the Bearmore, you know, Drew Bearmore, she's got a talk show. Her family has been in entertainment since before the Revolutionary War. That, that, that's amazing to me. They're, they're known as Hollywood's first family. If I said the Ford family, you think of cars, automotives. Eccles family. Yeah, so, so we know these names. If I said the Rutledge family, you'd be like, no idea. Right, but let me tell you a story about the Rutledge family. I want to tell you this story about my dad. And uh, this is when I was like in ninth grade. And uh, so I had this science class. And this teacher, I'm not sure if she didn't like the job, her job or whatever, but she was pretty notorious for during class time, she would leave for like, I don't mean like two minutes, I mean like 15 minutes or like long periods of time as we're all in class doing whatever we're supposed to be, well, whatever we're doing. And uh, so came to test time, some of my integrity wasn't so great when I was in ninth grade. And so she would, even during tests at times, she would pretty typically leave the class for 15 minutes and then she'd come back. And uh, so this, I, I never had to study because it literally, she'd leave the class and I'm like, what's the answer to number five? It's D. Like, it was just like that. So I didn't need to study. So I showed up for the class and for some reason on this day, she decided to stay at her desk the entire time. I failed the test miserably, okay? So I get done with the test, but she had this policy that if you failed the test, you had to take the test home and have your parents sign it and bring it back so they would know how you're doing in the class. Well, I took the test that afternoon and I went and I sat in my dad's office waiting for him. He was working, finishing up some stuff. And he looks up at me and he could tell something was bothering me. And he says, Mike, what's going on? And so... I reach and I grab my test out of my bag. I put it on his desk and I, I just start crying. I was so ashamed of myself and so worried that he was going to disapprove. And he, this is the only thing he ever said to me about this test. Mike, you'll get it next time. And he signed the test. He gave it back to me. And I want to tell you that I never failed another test in that class, but more importantly, I never cheated in that class again. And I studied for the test and I actually learned something. I'll get back to that at the end. But here's what I want you to know. Now when I talk to my dad, he says this thing. He says to me, he's 90. And so he doesn't have decades left. He knows that. When I talk to him on the phone, he says this to me. We get done talking. He says, Michael. I want you to know your mother and I pray for you every day. We are so proud of you. You're doing a great work. God is using you. Keep it up. What he's saying to me in that moment, Mike, I'm proud of you, and I love the way you're carrying on the family name. That's what he's saying, and it's as if he wants to make sure if this is the last conversation. I know that to be true, and I do. But this is also true on a spiritual level. You think in Acts, if you remember in Acts chapter 11, it says they were, they were first called, talking about the followers of Jesus, they were first called Christians in Antioch. It's like they were so known, there was such a reputation about this group of followers of Jesus that they were given a name to describe them. And if you ask people, and, and, and there's research <laughs> that, that did this, if you ask people what they think about the Christians, the Christ ones, the people with the last name of Jesus follower, it's not good news anymore. 
It's actually bad news. They think we're hypocritical and they think we're judgmental and they think we're out of touch and they think that we're uncaring and a bunch of other things. And worse yet is the reason they think that is because it's true. And maybe worst of all, the reason it's true is because we're living without connection to our last name, Christ one. We're not living consistently with what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So today, we're going to be picking up in the next section of 1 John. And we're going to be reading chapter 2, verse 28, all the way through 310. And we're going to, John is going to help us understand how we ought to bear the family name of Jesus, of being a Christian, all right? And uh, let me, let's just start. I'm going to read the whole passage, and we're going to dive in. It says, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we will know, uh, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins break the law, breaks the law. In fact, it is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right and righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is right is righteous, excuse me, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The one who is born of God will continue to sin because will not, the one, nope, the one who is born of God will not continue to sin. Okay, important word there. Don't want to miss. Uh, because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love his brother or sister. It's a really dense passage. And there's some really tough sentences in this. So let me just start with a couple observations. And the first thing you need to know is John has this, what I've called Teletubbies style of, of, of sharing his story. And you remember the Teletubbies? Remember that? Okay. We're all still a little freaked out by them, but... but in Teletubbies, I remember the first time I saw it, they showed a video. Like I was, one of my kids was watching it and they showed the video. And then as soon as they got done, what did they do? They showed the video again. And I remember sitting there going, wait, is this broken? Like did they, was their program? And actually, no. They did this as a learning tool because repetition is a great learning, you know, a great way to help you learn more, help you retain more. So that's what they do. This is what John does. He's very repetitious in his teaching because he wants us to understand some pretty important things. 
And so he starts in chapter two, verse 28. He says this, and now dear children continue in him. That phrase continue in him has been repeated in the previous 20 verses 12 times. Okay, he said this 12 times, and it means continuing him is this word menos, which means to abide, which is defined as uh, uh, to, 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 to accept or act in accordance with. So he's saying, accept or act in accordance with him. And you have to ask, as a matter of fact, John, by the way, this, this uh, word menos or to abide, this happens 112 times in the New Testament, 66 of which John in this book, 23 times. So you have to ask yourself, why is he so obsessed with making sure that we abide or continue in him? Well, the answer is obvious because clearly they were in jeopardy of not acting in accordance with his teaching. The second thing I want to just observe is that we need, you know, pay attention to who he's writing to. He, 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 he's writing to who? What does it say? Dear children, dear children, which is really interesting because he, this is another Teletubbies moment where in this next section that we read, we just, he used 10 different or, or 10 times he uses familial language, father, son, uh, brother, sister, children, child, over and over because he's trying to help us understand a position that we have in relationship to him, which we're going to talk about. So then he goes on, he says, now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. In other words, hey, kids, dad's on the way home and you don't want to get caught red-handed when he gets here because if you do, you're going to be ashamed like I was with the test because I didn't do the right thing. And he says, you don't want to do that. You want him to come home and say, hey, I'm proud of the way you're carrying on the family name. That's what we want. And so that's the first thing we need to understand is that we are invited into a family. The first thing is that we, you are part of the family. All right, you're part of the family. He's writing specifically to those who've already accepted Christ. And he's telling us, you have an intimate family relationship with God, okay? Look at this. See how very much our father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. In other words, he loves us so much that he wasn't content to be disconnected from us. He wanted to invite us into his family, which is tricky. We're going to talk about that. See, he, he wants us to be in relationship with him. Okay. That's the first thing we need to understand that he loves us so much that he's invited us to be in his family. But then in any family, there are expectations. And let's talk about these for just a second, because they're important. Expectation number one is this, right or righteous living, right or righteous living. Well, look what he says in, in uh, chapter 229. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him or born into the family. But you know 
that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Following the way of Jesus, having the Christian name means you are expected to live in a manner that's consistent with his behavior, which well, with his call in our life, which is to live rightly or righteously. And he does this because it's necessary. This is really important. It's necessary for us to be in relationship with him by being righteous, right? You need to understand, he, he, Paul is, or John has said this, he's righteous, blameless, sinless, holy, perfect, right? Those are words that mean that righteous, same thing. Are we? No. So he can't abide, which is to accept the behavior that's not righteous. He can't follow that kind of behavior. So when we're unrighteous, we break the community that we have with him. We're not out of the family, but we're not in good relationship with dad. I want to make one point really clear. This is not how we earn our salvation. This is our response to our salvation. Your right behavior will never earn you right relationship, only accepting his blood. And we'll talk about that in a minute too. The other thing is, this is actually what our souls crave. I don't know if you know this, but you probably do actually intuitively understand that our souls literally crave right relationship with Jesus. And what happens is we replace those desires with things that we think are gonna fill the void, right? You've heard of the term buyer's remorse? What's that? You buy something and you're like, oh, I need this so bad. I gotta have it. And you get it home. And you're like, what did I just do? This is a terrible purchase, right? But we have this way of thinking. It's kind of interesting. You know, my next car, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll be, finally, uh, my, my soul will be full with my next car, my next house, my next husband, my next wife, my next kid, my next million, whatever it is. We have these ideas that it's out there. But, but as long as we're trying to find something that doesn't right our relationship with God, which is the desire that we have in our soul, we end up walking away feeling like it didn't do the trick for me. And so that's what he's trying to bring us into, this understanding that our right relationship with God is truly what we desire and truly what our souls are craving. Continuing on, chapter three, verse two, he says, now, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not been made known, but we know when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him Purify themselves just as he is pure. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. There's an expectation of righteous living when you're in the family. Now just let me, little side note. If you're here today and you're like, yeah, but I don't, I, I've never accepted Christ. I don't follow. I'm not talking to you right now. You're determined, we'll get there at the end, actually, for those who said, I'm not, I'm not actually following Jesus. I don't want that in my life. Okay, we're gonna talk about that in a second. But just understand, for those of you who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, there's an expectation in the family of right living, okay? So we need to make sure, though, that we don't fall for the misconception that I can add more Jesus without reducing the sin in my life. 
because they are inseparably connected. More righteousness, more relationship with Jesus. More sin or unrighteousness, less relationship with Jesus. Expectation number two is that we are forgiven and repentant, not perfect. This is really important. We're forgiven and repentant, but not perfect. Verse four of chapter three, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Okay, that's a little tricky. Maybe in your brain, a little red flag of concern went off. If I'm reading your thoughts, and I think I am, I bet you have a red flag right now, kind of going, okay, let me just summarize what he said. If you do what's sinful, you're not in the good family, you're in the bad guy family, you're a son of the devil. No one in God's family will continue to sin. Actually, he goes on and he says, no one in God's family can continue to sin. And this is actually, he says, how you know which family you're in by your behaviors. And then if you remember all the way back in chapter one, he actually says, and if you claim you're sinless, you're not only a liar, you're actually calling God a liar. By the way, bad idea. You're calling God a liar. But I do sin. Uh Uh-oh. Let's pray and thank God for this wonderful truth and we'll go home today. No, we've got to figure this out because this is really important for us to understand. And here's the thing, first thing I want to share. First John 1, 9, if we confess, he what? He, he's faithful and just and he'll do what? Okay, so he'll forgive us. So we know that God has put in place a system for our sin. Okay, I'm breathing a little better. (laughs) Because would God put that system in place if he expected us to be perfect or believed that we were going to be perfect? No. So he knows that we're going to fail, but he's created a system to cleanse us from that, all right? But the question we have to answer, he's talking about continued sin. So, you know, one sin's not continued, but maybe is 10 sins, is, is that continuing in sin? How about 100? No, a thousand. See, he doesn't define what continued in sin is, and that's part of the problem. We have to figure out what that means. And so here's what I want to do. Let's jump on the magic school bus with Miss Frizzle. We'll take a trip all the way back to the Old Testament. We'll land in Numbers chapter 15, which is exactly what he's referring to in this, in this passage. It's really, really important. A quick theology lesson. And this passage specifically is dealing with Israel receiving instruction around their around their offerings and around their sacrificial system, specifically in this verse around the sin sacrifice. And I'm going to read a couple, couple passages to you here. The first one, Numbers 15, picking up in verse 27. 
1527, it says this, if one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat, a year old for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the one who makes a mistake. When he sins unintentionally to make an atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. Okay, so if I, if I sin unintentionally, I would go to the priest and the priest would make offering for me and I'm atoned of my sin. I'm back in right relationship. But a couple of verses later, he goes on with something. It's, it's to the continuation of this thought, which is challenging. He says, but the person who does wrong defiantly, whether he is a native or a stranger, that one is blaspheming the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from among his people since he despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment that person shall be completely cut off with his guilt. Okay, we have this challenging thing here in the Old Testament that's dealing with intentional versus unintentional sin. We all make mistakes and we go, oh, wow, I shouldn't have done that. And clearly he says, okay, you're forgiven. But the intentional sin, we're left with, oh, if I intentionally sin, then I'm completely cut off. And, and, and immediately you think to yourself, well, let me see. Most of my sin actually is intentional, <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it usually, don't you usually go, you know what? I know what's right. I just don't want to do it. Or I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not gonna. Well, what he's actually saying here in this passage is not what it seems like on the surface. What he's actually referring to with these unintentional sins, the, the Hebrew there is interesting. One, the defiantly, if I sin defiantly, one says, if I sin intentionally, one says brazenly. And the one I really love is if I sin with a raised hand. And what he's trying to help us understand in this passage is that Jesus Christ came and he provided a way for us to be back in right relationship. I can choose to accept that or I can choose to live outside of that with my fist raised to his plan for my salvation saying, I don't want any part of it. I'm quite fine on my own. And I've become my own savior and I need myself to save me and it won't work. And again, we are saved not through our works, but through Christ's work not because of works we've done, actually in spite of the works we've done. And if I reject the way of God and God's law, then forgiveness and the plan for being in the family, then I've become my own savior, which is no good. So God will forgive us, but I just want to just, it still feels weird because it feels a bit unresolved because God has forgiven me, but I continue to sin. What do I do with that? And the answer is really simple. I'm not even going to spend a ton of time on it. It's a word that you've grown up in church with. If you've grown up in church, you know this. It's the word repentance. And this is a necessary, regular practice of being in the family. We repent. And repent simply means to turn away from the bad behaviors, to turn complete, turn your back on them and head in a new direction. When my kids were young, they would do, well, you know what? when they're their age now, when I'm this age, I, but I was, when they were young, they, they, they would do something. They'd be, ah, oh, sorry, dad, I'm sorry. And then they would go right back and do it. Sorry, dad, sorry, dad. And they'd do it again. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Can I tell you something? If I stood here and slapped you in the face and said, sorry, and then did it again, and then did it again, and then did it again, 
would you think I was sorry? Let me ask you another question. If I slapped you in the face and said sorry, never did it again, would you think I was sorry? I think you would. And this is what our call in the family to righteousness is, to walk away from the sin, receive his forgiveness, and head in a new direction. A new direction. And Van, you guys can come forward as we're going to close out here. I just want to remind you of this story with my dad. I failed and my shame was great. And maybe I could have continued cheating on my tests and he'd never know. Maybe the teacher wouldn't come back in. But that's not a heart change of repentance. My dad's not going to kick me out of the family, but I will tell you one thing. As long as I allow sin to reign in my life, my relationship with God is broken and not functioning in the design that he created for me to be intimately connected to his heart. In the same way, when you treat your own father badly, your relationship breaks. And he's calling us to live in the exact manner where when we sin and we all will, we receive his forgiveness and turn in a new direction. And when we turn in the new direction, we can hear the voice of God saying, I'm really really pleased with the way you're carrying on the family name. Will you guys pray with me? Lord Jesus, we're so grateful and thankful for your love. You created a way. You came, it says in this passage, you came to remove our sin. We didn't have to do it. You forgive us when we ask and you just tell us, repent, change, new direction. Let's restore the relationship, more righteousness, more positive, correct relationship with you. Help us live in such a way that we never, never take for granted what you've done on the cross for us. We ask all this in your name. Amen.